series, That Kingdom Thing. And what this is, is, you know, in ministry, one of the challenges that any minister has, um, whoever he or she might be, one of the challenges is that as you lead the people that you're responsible for along over the years, the people that have been with you, the longer someone is with you, the more that they grow, the more they understand, the more they can interpret the culture and the spirit and the, what, what the ministry is about, the vision of the house. But when new people come in, so we take it for granted, this is what my point is, so it's easy to take for granted and you never look again at some of the things that are foundational to every believer's walk. And so from time to time, I try to go back and do a series that covers some of those things that would be very important uh, to the ongoing journey of any individual, no matter whether they're a new believer or they've been, they're someone that's been in the kingdom for a long time. I believe it will, one, either teach us what we don't know, or two, it will um, strengthen the foundation of what we already do know. And that is my intent with this series, That Kingdom Thing. And what I want to do with this series is I want to answer some what does that mean questions. I want to answer what does that mean questions. What does it mean when a preacher or when a believer or when somebody who has a relationship with Christ says something like, saved? What does it mean when somebody is standing in the front of the church like this morning and they're lifting their hands? I've never seen that before. What does that mean? Why do, why do they do that? Uh, what does it mean when, when I hear someone say God and then another guy said Yahweh? What does that mean? What does it mean when, when some people pray with their eyes closed and some people pray with their eyes open? Um, what is that? Why is it different? What, what does it mean? All these little things. And, so, uh, and I'll tell you right now, next week we're going to get more into form and culture. Uh, but today, I want to address the very first thing that happens in the life of every person who comes to the knowledge of Christ, and that is the word saved. What does that mean? Often, uh, that is wrapped up together with the statement, being born again. It is not the same thing. Being saved and being born again is not the same thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, you remember when Nicodemus went to Christ and he was asking, what must I do to be saved? And, he, and then Jesus said, unless a man uh, uh, receives him, he cannot be born again. He cannot, you cannot return to your mother's womb and then come out, but you can come to me, be changed, be forgiven, and be a brand new man. And then when you are born again as an infant, salvation begins to take hold and totally change you. Being born again is what happens when I say I receive Christ. Being saved is what happens every day after that, that I'm still breathing. So there's a journey that takes place. And so I want to talk about that more in detail and at the same time being simplistic. Let me say, it this, let me say this about me. There are a lot of preachers, a lot of teachers, and I'm trying to teach more today than preach, but there are a lot of preachers or teachers or ministers that are far better at 
laying out what I'm trying to share with you today than I am. In fact, I recall uh, one time some years ago, there was somebody that had left the church because they were offended by something that I said. And when they left, they said a lot of ugly untruths on Facebook and social media, and they just said a lot of things that were not true, only to hurt uh, not just me, but this ministry and people in this ministry. And they, they were saying a lot of things that were, that were ugly. And I can tell you that when I had a guest here, a guest preacher here that came in, and when he came, we went to a restaurant to eat lunch or dinner. I can't remember if it was lunch or dinner. But we, had, we went to eat lunch or dinner. Well, she happened at that time to be a waitress at that particular restaurant. And when we were seated there at that table, the uh, hostess sat us there and then got us some water. And a few minutes later, this particular person who had left the church and was just had said all kinds of non-truths and just created a scenario that really only to justify her leaving, not because she believed what she said. And because everybody, no, no one falls off a cliff alone. They just, they got to take as many people with them as they can. And so when I realized when she came to the table and she gave me a cross look and I said, you know, this isn't this, let's not do this. There's no sense in doing this. And I, so I stood up, excused myself. I went over to the host and I said, you know what? I want to request a different server. Is there anything wrong with the server you've got? Well, I just would like another server. And so I, they gave us one. They gave me and the gentleman that I was with another server. And then the person who said the ugly things came over to the table before we left, and she said, you have a lot to learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know nothing about it. And just attacked me. And I said to the gentleman that I was with that day, I sat there and I said to him, I said, you know, I can tell you this. It's not that I hate this person. It's irrelevant whether I dislike them. I don't trust them. And I said, why would I put myself in a position to have somebody who hates me serve me food? I don't like spit in my food. Um, so I would rather have a pleasant experience with someone who would enjoy that. But I was accused of not getting the gospel because of my decision to try to eat peaceably among men. Um, rather than cater to the verbal attacks. And to me, I thought that was wisdom. I thought that was good, and I thought that was a good picture of the gospel. And when we left, um, I, you know, I, I thought about that, and I thought, man, I, she really planted a seed in my mind, making me think that I do the right thing. Maybe I should have just let her spill bile on me for the next hour and a half with a visitor that doesn't even know her, and, and then try to explain that. And, and then... Holy Spirit quickly he prompted me and he said not everybody understands the gospel the same way you walk in the revelation of the gospel you have and I'll take care of everyone else so it's always true that Holy Spirit will reveal to us the measure of the gospel that we need to walk in at any given point I want to say though an addendum to that story is just recently not too long ago in fact back in February I was able to look that woman and her husband in the face and say to them that I forgive them and uh, it was a pleasant thing. 
Um, so that was wonderful. And, but I'm saying all that because what happens is in the kingdom, in, in, the, in the church world, and I want to try, let me, let me say this. I'm going to do my best to keep this at about 40 minutes because I want this series, the clock hasn't started yet. <laughs> The clock starts, I'll, I'll, show, I'll tell you when the clock starts. It's going to start 40 minutes before I'm finished. But I want to put together, I want this series to be something that every new family that comes to our house can watch and can look at and can understand what it is that we're walking through and what we believe and why we believe it. Why do we do some of the things that are odd to them? So... That's what my purpose is. That's what this series is, is to answer some of these questions. And I hope uh, that in the middle of it, I don't answer all of your questions. I hope that the things that I say cause you to have more questions. Because as I've said for many a long time, questions are the beginning of honor. So when you begin to ask questions, it lets others know by asking them, it's important to you what they have to say. It's important that you see them as a valuable tool in helping you grow into who God created you to be. Does that make sense? So today what I want to do is I want to begin by talking about saved. I tell you that in the church world, uh, church terminology has evolved. Literally, it is taken on its own language, and those who are on the outside of the church can't interpret it. I mean, we use words and slang. We use things that are current and normal to us. We've normalized things that people who have not gone to church have no idea what that is. Even the word saved, being born again. You can really get an understanding why Nicodemus would say, how can a man be born again? And so... You understand because he was coming from a perspective that made no sense to him because he could only think from a material mind, from a natural mind. He could only come from the natural. So what I want to do is I want to help clarify for all of us what do some of these terms mean. And not only do I want to justify the use of some of these words, I want to correct the word and let's get modern. Let's get current. And I don't know what all of that is, but I want to help you to come to a place where we are aware of the people or person that we are speaking to across a table so that they can interpret what we're saying. Because as soon as we say a singular word, and many times over a lunch uh, discussion, I've had conversations with people and I've used the word Yahweh because God's Hebrew name is normal to me to say Yahweh. I don't think twice about it. But immediately when I say that, I can see the, the little thing in the middle, whatever that thing's called right there, I can see it. Called the who? It's called the what? Yeah, that. Whatever that is. And the wrinkles show up and, and I can see, okay, now I'm going to need to spend time explaining that. So I might lose the opportunity to really get into the meat of what we were seated for. So what I try to do is I try to discern the company with which I am seated. And then try to decide what is their language. Let me speak in their language so that it makes sense. That's why at one time in years ago, I said Yahweh all the time because it's not right, uh, not wrong to do it. 
and neither is, is it always right to do that because not everybody understands that. And then I came to the place where I would mix Yahweh with God so that people understood that we're talking about the same creator and we just happen to use his name because he likes his name. Well, they don't know that. Most people that talk to God think God is his name. They don't know that he has a different name. So anyway, I don't want to go there today. We'll go there another day. But so today, I want to help us understand that church terminology, because it has evolved so much, it's changed so much, um, the world, we, we might as well be speaking French to an English-speaking nation because they don't get it. And I want to change that today. I want to help you with that. So I'm going to ask you this. When did Christ do that? When did Christ ever go and begin to speak a separate language to the people that were gathered at his feet? I was, when I was researching some things for this today, um, I happened to Google, uh, I forgot what I Googled, but anyway, what came up was uh, this thing says, how to be born again. And it said, illustrated. And I thought, how to be born again? I couldn't help but click on it. So I clicked on it, and it's a wiki how. And it has pictures. In this picture, the preacher is standing there talking. In the next picture, there, there's like 10 different pictures. And anyway, there's steps through the whole thing. And it shows the person who's looking at it what to do. When to hold their hands, how to hold them, when to kneel. And it shows them all of this. And I thought, and that is what the kingdom of God has come to, to most people who are on the outside looking in. If you want a preacher today, you want to be ordained, you want to do a wedding, you just go online, you Google it, you get ordained online in about five minutes. You pay your $25 fee and you get ordained in about five minutes. It's irrelevant what kind of life you've lived. It's irrelevant whether or not you actually even serve God. All that matters is that you pay your $25 fee and which is a lot like religion, you pay your fee and we'll let you have access to us. It's like those TV shows and those TV preachers. You know what? Today for a love gift, we charge you nothing, but for a love gift of 50 bucks, we'll send you a book. Well, you just told me I got to pay 50 bucks for your love gift. And I've never bought one of those and never will. And because I don't like witchcraft and that's what that is. So, but today I want to deal with this whole thing because Christ did not do that. In fact, I want to read to you out of John 3.16. Turn with me to a very, very familiar passage, John 3.16. Again, see, there I go. That was an error. That was an error based on assumption. Assuming everybody will know what John 3.16 is. That's how easy that that happens. That's how easy we fall into that trap because there's no doubt, there's maybe in this room, certainly people that are watching online that have no idea where John 3.16 even is, let alone know what it says. They don't know if it's in the Old Testament, New Testament, if it's in any Testament. They don't know. So that is how easy that happens. So I'm encouraging everyone, which is why I ask you to download that app. To follow along as I read a verse in the New Testament from John 3.16, and this is what it says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Let me back up and say this. How many times... Do we easily say things as believers because we've been walking this walk for so long 
that when someone's listening to us that isn't churched or has not ever been around people who have gone to church, how many times have they needed a translator to understand what seems so simple to you and me? Often. But now let me ask you this. For God so loved the world, in John 3, 16, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. What part of this verse requires a translator? None of it. Every single word would make sense to anyone reading this scripture. First part, God loved the world. No doubt about it. And He loved it so much that He gave His Son. And if I believe in Him, I don't have to die, but I can live forever. Now, they might not know what living forever looks like or not dying looks like or how to put it in its proper place. But there's an immediate translation. There's an immediate understanding. This is what it means. If I will receive this Son of this God, my life will be completely changed. Now what I want to do is receive Him, and then I want to get alongside people that can tell me and help me allow my life to be changed. Why did God do this? I'm going to tell you three things. I think it's in your notes. I don't know if I put it there or not. But why did God do this? Because He is a Father, and He loves communion and fellowship. He sent His Son... So that everybody, what does it mean to be saved? We're coming there in a second. I'm going to read this first. But why did he do it? He sent his son so that you and me, every single person breathing air, could come into his presence and could know him. God said, I'm sending my only son because I love you so much. Whether you love me now or you don't love me at all, I'm sending my son because you, every one of you, matter to me. And I love communing. I love sitting at the table with you. And I sent my son so that you could join me at my table. He loves you because you are his creation. He never created anything that he wanted to destroy. He never created anything because he spilled the milk and it formed something that he was unexpected, that was unexpected. Everything that God ever created, better said, everyone, every person, man, woman, boy, girl, every single person God ever created, he created them on purpose. He created you watching me online today or watching me in this building today. He created you because even if you don't know why you are breathing air, God knows why He put that air in you. And I'm telling you, He created you today and you are worth it. And He loves you and He wants to draw that worth out of you. And then He did it because He wants to protect you like a father should. Because the father is very aware, Nick. He's very, very aware that there are powers that be. There is an enemy out there that is in every way opposed to God, that is in every way creating counterfeits, 
that is in every way trying to build up things that look like it, but will never be it. They look like him, but they will never be him. They have a form of, but they have no life in them. So he gave because he wants to protect you and he wants to make you aware. He said, I'm sending my son so that Steve Parker can commune. That first thing we talked about can have communion with me. And in that communion, when we're talking, when we're fellowshipping together, when he's driving down the road, I can say to him, Steve, that thing you're thinking about, don't go there. Steve, that person you think you love, I didn't create them for you. Steve, that job you think you're supposed to have, that's the wrong one. And in that fellowship, he wants to protect, he wants to cover, he wants to lead us into his fullness and out of the enemy's hands. That's why God so loved the world. Better said, God so loved you and me that he gave his only son so that we would not be prisoner to the Antichrist, but be joint heirs with the Christ. Amen? So whenever someone repents of their sins, and this is going to, this is, you know, even in my own mind as I say these things, I'm trying to deliberately think these things through so that it doesn't come across to someone who is not familiar with the gospel or familiar with our terminology. I'm, I'm deliberately thinking them through because I want to help you understand. So let me read this statement, and then we'll see where that's at. But when anyone repents of their sins, when someone repents, when someone says, God, I have lived a life without you, sin is exactly that. It is a life without God. I have lived a life without you and without your fellowship. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And when we acknowledge that, immediately God sends that sent son on assignment and says, let your blood... Let your blood now transfuse their blood and change them so that they are joint heirs. They are sons to me, son, just like you are a son to me, son. Do you hear me this morning? It is powerful. So when someone repents of their sins, when they repent of their, and let me word this even more clearly, when someone says, God, as I said a moment ago, forgive me, for ignoring that you created me, forgive me for ignoring you all of my life or part of my life or for whatever time, forgive me, I, I receive Christ today, I receive your son to bring me back into relationship with you. The moment that happens, whoever that person is, they are born again at that moment. I have a very different perspective of what many are used to. Those of you that have walked with me for any length of time, this will not be unfamiliar to you. But anybody who's only known me for a short time or those who are watching or here for the first time today might find this outside of what you've heard before. But I am not the guy, and we're going to come to this in just a moment, but I'm not the person who believes that people are saved because they walk down an aisle. 
or because they repeat after me a prayer. In fact, without mentioning that, I can tell you that even uh, in the last few weeks, someone, I won't say when, I'm just going to say in the last few weeks, I received an email of someone who let me know that they wanted to lift their hand to be saved, but they didn't. And you could tell, I could tell in the email, they were um, feeling a little bit um, defeated by that. And immediately, my heart went out to them. And I responded in the email immediately. As soon as I saw the email, I didn't wait, I didn't hesitate. But as soon as I received that email, I immediately responded to that email. And I said, when you, lifted your, when you in your heart believed you should have lifted your hand, it was at that moment that God knew your heart. You were born again then. You didn't have to repeat a prayer after me. You didn't have to even lift your hand. But at that moment, the Father who created the heart that's beating in you knows the heart that's beating in you. And He knew at that moment, before you even sent this email, the Father had already reconciled you to Him, and now He's going to begin to share and talk with you. That's the power of God. So what does it mean to be saved? It is, in a nutshell, when we become his sons and daughters in the same way that Jesus did. And I get that we, in our world, in our lives, in our study, in our teaching, in our bring, coming up, those of us who came up in the church, we're always told how perfect Jesus was, and there's no question, he was flawless. He was without, he was without sin, but he was not without error. That's difficult. For religious folk. Because Jesus was without sin, but he was not without error. And if you go into any of the Gospels, I won't read it now, but you go into any of the Gospels and you'll read the story where he was found in the temple teaching the teachers. And his mom and dad were going back to Jerusalem and they couldn't find their boy, the Son of God. I loved how, I forgot who said it, but someone said some one time, how would you like to be the person who lost Jesus? <laughs> Where's the Savior? I left him on Tower of Terror. <laughs> but they were headed back to Jerusalem, and on their way back, they couldn't find him. And they said, and three days had passed. <laughs> Somebody could have called DCF. And Jesus would have been in an orphanage. But they didn't know where he was. And they're asking around. Nobody knew. So they went back and they found Jesus. And where was he at? He was in the temple teaching teachers. And his daddy said to him, said, son, what are you doing? Or his mama, don't you know? I'm about my father's business. And the rest of the story that's unwritten was probably mama saying, don't you know? For the next 18 years, you're going to be about mine. Because they put him in the caravan, and you didn't hear another word about Jesus for 18 years in the Bible. It's a true story. So he was without sin, 
But he was not without youthfulness, immaturity. He was growing. If he didn't have to grow into becoming the spotless lamb and the son of God, Yahweh would have said, crucify him as soon as he comes out of the womb. But he had to be prepared for the moment to bring that salvation to you and to me. And it took 33 years to prepare, 30, to prepare him and another three years for him to develop his confidence that the Father will bring me up out of that tomb. So what is saved and what does it look like? And what is different about those who become saved? Saved really is, or being born again really is, you and me. It is us receiving the gift of God's Son. Being born again, it is like the person I sent the email to. When you recognized, listen to me, those watching today, whether it's live or Memorex, listen to me. If it's 10 years from this date, I want you to know when in your heart you know that you are without God and there is a compulsion, there is an earnest desire, I want to know Him. Suddenly, at that moment, Holy Spirit has now knit you back into right relationship with Him in your journey of learning about the Son and the Father begins. Everything about salvation. Everybody say everything. Everything, everything about being saved. Being born again qualifies me to take the next step. I'm in fact, we sang about being joint heirs this morning. I'm born again, I'm now a joint heir with Christ. What does that mean? That means that Jesus said, everything I know about my daddy, I want to make it known to you. There are no secrets that I want to withhold from you. I want you to be aware of everything I know about my father. I want you to know that too. And when we acknowledge that we are without God, and then we receive him and we say, forgive me, whatever word you use, don't be tricked into believing that you have to use the word forgive me or I repent even. A simple, I messed up. Listen to me. A simple, Father, I messed up. What good is it to tell everybody you got to use these exact words? I repent. Most people that's never been in the church, they don't even, they've never heard that word in their life. And then we tell them, you got to do that thing. And they're like, what's that? I want to get it right, but I can't remember that specific word. God doesn't care. All he wants to know is, will you say, I don't have you and I really want you. And he says, welcome. Because the problem with the word saved does not accurately capture the whole aura of what it is to have relationship with God. Read with me, turn with me please to Romans 10.10. 10. 
Romans 10.10 and the NIV reads like this. It says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. What in the world? For it is with, everybody say, it is with my heart that I believe and I am justified. Wait a minute now. I didn't go down to the front of the church. No one told me to repeat after them. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And I like what's coming next. And it is, and this, boy, you talk about something that's misinterpreted. These uh, folks, man, I'm telling you, I, I feel for mute folks that hear this scripture. Nobody that can't talk can ever go to heaven. If you listen to some folks preach. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth, everybody say, with your mouth, that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, it would be absolutely silly to believe that you can only be saved by confessing God or Jesus with your mouth. Where does that leave the mute folks that cannot speak at all? Is that the heart of God? Absolutely not. He was not, this is not a literal thing. This is a life thing. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What is coming out of me? The mouth represents that portal from which my liveliness, my life, my spirit, my who I am, that's that portal from which all of that, through which all of that flows. So it's easy to interpret with our ears in the world today that, well, like so many believe, I just want to clarify some things because I don't believe like every preacher. I want to, I'm trying to make it simple for some folks today. Because so many believe that unless you say it with your mouth, you're really not saved. That is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. Your heart does a whole lot more talking than your mouth ever will. There is no scripture, not even one, that supports in literal terms that I have to speak it out loud. Not one. And it's a good thing. Because when someone were to come and to say that that is the case, I want you to lead to them someone who cannot speak. And then I want you to stand them up in front of them and say, what about them? Does anybody hear me today? So what about those who are not able to speak? Are they left out? No. Confession is what your life does to honor God every single day. Remember, we learned some time ago, in fact, she sang again this morning about confession. Confession is that agreement we have with the Father. It is our agreement with Him. When He says, again, being born again, being saved, this is all part of it. It is me that salvation experience isn't a one-month 
this is it. It's done. Everything's over. It is every day me learning to hear the Father, me learning to see Him demonstrated in the lives of others. We'll come to that in a second. But seeing that, witnessing that in the confession that I believe Him is the decisions that I make in my life to honor Him every single day. So let's move into that. The life that we live, everybody say this with me, the life I live makes a statement. So before I jump into this, let me again rehearse. Again, what we've talked about. What is it to be saved? First, you're born again. It's simply saying, Father, wherever you are, I don't know the words, but I just want to be right with you. What's your language? How would you say it? Yo, God. I know that does. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But you know what? That's the only way some folks get it. That's their language that they speak. So whatever that language is, he doesn't want you. He doesn't want me trying to be Becky. He doesn't want Becky trying to be me. He wants Becky to talk to him like Becky would talk to him. You shouldn't be trying to pray if you hear me praying You shouldn't be trying to pray like I pray. You can. If you don't know any other way to pray, you can learn from that. Follow me as I follow Christ. But as that begins to develop, talk to Him like you would. Nicholas, you talk to God the way Nicholas talks to God. Some folks are going to talk to Him writing in a journal. Never say a word. I talk to him sitting on my back porch, driving down the road. The language that I... You're getting what I'm telling you today. So the life that we live makes a statement. In Romans, this is a lot of verses I'm going to read here. I'm going to read it in two different versions for a reason. So I'm going to talk about the life that we live and how it makes a statement. In Romans 1.20 in the English Standard Version says this. For his invisible attributes, namely, namely, Specifically, particularly, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived or clearly seen, clearly witnessed ever since the creation of the world. Since the beginning of time, God's eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Hold on. I want you to get this. So let me read it a little different. Let me, let me put two pieces together that makes it even more clear. For his invisible attributes, the things that aren't seen, that are seen. Particularly, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, and then skip past that comma section, in the things that have been made. So they, what is they? The witnesses that have witnessed His eternal power and divine nature no longer have an excuse. They cannot say, I have not witnessed it, therefore I'm unfamiliar with it. It's been around since the beginning of time. The problem is what they're seeing. Now let me read it a little differently. Let me read it out of Romans chapter 1 in the message. And I'm going to include, in the message you have to include more verses or it doesn't make sense at all. So I'm going to start with God being angry. So Romans 1 verse 18 through 23 reads like this in the message. It said, but God's angry displeasure erupts 
I'm mad. God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate, build up, and become more and more pervasive. As people try to put a shroud, disguise the truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. (laughs) Open your eyes and there it is. The basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look, at what God has created. I said to someone the other day, my family and I go out to Montana every Christmas, right before Christmas, every year. We go out there and we spend some time out in Montana, a few days in Montana. I love it. And I said to someone the other day that has not been there, but they will be there this time, and I said to them, I said, when you are looking, when that plane lands, and you step out of that airplane, we leave 80 degree weather, and you step into 12 degree weather. Suddenly you have a reality. God has a sense of humor. But when you look around, it's nothing but what some would call eye candy, but it is God candy. It is impossible to deny that by some error or some explosion that that all occurred. Because it is meticulous art. It is each pebble, each stone, every snowflake is positioned exactly where it needs to be to demonstrate that only the hand of the supernatural could put this together in the form and the fashion that it is. He said, so by taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. But what happened was this. This is what occurred that created the reason to excuse. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat Him like God, by refusing to worship Him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God, who holds the whole world in His hands, for cheap figurines you can buy at a roadside stand. Let me tell you something this morning. It's more about Monday morning than it is about Sunday morning. Let's say it to you again. It is more about Monday morning than it is about Sunday morning. If the people 
the ministries, the ministers that I know had in their congregation all of the people that they report are getting saved every Sunday. Florida couldn't hold them. Florida couldn't hold them. Because what occurs, and, and listen, everybody is going to walk in, and I'm going to try to bring this to a wrap. But everybody is going to walk in the level of understanding that they have. I said to someone this morning, I said to them, I was, they walked into my office, and as soon as they walked into my office, before I even greeted them, I asked them a question. I said, what does saved mean to you? First thing I said. Love their answer. But I said to them, I said, I was blessed because the man that raised me wasn't my biological father. He was more than that. He was phenomenal. He was an incredible, best dad on the planet. And he loved me like I was his own, even though I wasn't. So when I found F. Nolan Ball, who was an apostle in Panama City, he was a different person. But my dad, growing up, walked in only what he knew. He walked in the level of understanding, the level of relationship with Jesus Christ, the level of God that he knew that he was raised up in. And he was content with that. He was happy... If he never sang a different song next Sunday than he sang five years before, he was okay with that. It was peace to him, but not to me. So growing up, some of my childhood, part of my childhood in his home, my parents were divorced, and I would witness the things that he experienced. All I knew is if this is the best I can hope for, I will never come to know God. Isn't it interesting that what for me would be death for him was life? And it was. My dad is in every way standing with Christ at the right hand of the Father interceding for me right now. He's listening to what I'm saying, saying, son, preach. Preach it, son. So I was always thankful for what he had, but for me, I needed more. And when I moved to Panama City and I met Nolan Ball, I didn't need a daddy. I didn't need another father. In fact, I didn't want another father. I was 27 years old. So I didn't need another father. I wasn't sure really what I needed, to be honest with you. But when I met him, Holy Spirit said, stay put, move here. And when I sat there and he said things that didn't make sense to me, the thing that drew me to him was when I got saved or when I first was born again and began to take the journey again, very blindly, we, I'm using terms this morning without thinking about it because that's the language I've grown used to. I want to shift that language. But when I came to Christ, 
in the church I was in, and then later the other church that I was a part of when I moved and became a youth pastor, there was always a hunger in me for more. But they didn't get it. So the first church I was at was a denominational church, and they would, and, and the second, and they would just explain it away. Well, Steve, we understand how you're feeling. Just, just, just don't talk about that. Well, what about this? Well, don't worry about it, Steve. It's not a big deal. But man, I need it. There was something in me. I, I was driven. I was driven. Driven to know. But when I met Nolan Ball, and I went into his office, and I said, whatever might be stirring in me, this is, I'm seeing some things, I'm feeling that the Holy Spirit's showing me some things, that God is really wanting me to dig deeper into this. Do you know what he did? He opened the door wide up, wide open. He said, go, even if I don't understand it, dig into it. See if there's anything there. If there's something there that adds life, grab hold of it. If you get in the middle of it and you find out, oh, this isn't God, then get out. Whoopie-doo. It's not a big deal. Why am I saying all that? I'm saying that because when I go to Romans 1, 18 and 23 or Romans 1, 20 in the ESV and I talk about the life and the Father says from the beginning of time, I've been looking for people that would confess me with their living. I don't need your mouth. I like it. If you've got one, let's use it, but let's use it right. Let's, let's confess with the life first and then the mouth follow. Too many times the mouth speaks and the life doesn't follow. He said, it's, I'm more interested that your life says, I love God. And can I tell you today, no matter how long you've served him, maybe today will be your first day of a walk with the Father. Can I tell you, with every bit of truth, sincerity that I can muster, the Father is not interested in you trying to hurry. He's not interested if there are a million people that know him seemingly better than you. Truth is, he just wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. And he wants you to know how easy it is to be born again, to be saved. You hear those words? Simply means, I have right relationship with God. I trust Him. He doesn't even care if you use all the right words. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I mess up like you do. But you know what? I never mess up and think, oh man, God's given up on me. Shame on me. I mess up and I say, sorry. Just like I do my wife. It's really, it's harder to say it to my wife than it is to say it to the Father. <laughs> yeah, you laugh because you know it's true. <laughs> but the Father says, you know what? All I was looking for was your confession. But you didn't treat me like God because you didn't worship me. Our salvation, that word that we use, 
is simply the journey that you are taking to get to know him more and more every single day and allowing him to begin to renew those places in you. I'm I'm talking to some folks this morning. There's some folks here right now. You're listening to my voice and there's some places in you, man, need to be reignited. Wake me up again, Holy Spirit. Wake me up again, Father. Yahweh needs us. And again, I'm going to say it. What happens on Monday morning is more important than what happens on Sunday morning. Because all those people that get saved and can't fill these churches because they didn't really get saved. They didn't really develop that relationship. That's why Monday morning is a better revealer of a decision one made than a Sunday morning repeated prayer will ever be. But then I want to tell you this. Why does the Father want you and me in relationship with Him? Because He needs us. There are things that He needs done that only a son or daughter can do. Only sons and daughters can rule and reign in the earth. There will always be counterfeits, but only sons and daughters will rule and reign. He needs us to receive Him. And He made you and me necessary for the advancement of the kingdom in the same way that the children of parents are needed for the advancement of that name, that family name and that family heritage. When that's cut off, the name is gone. The Father needs you and me. So God loves us. He loves you. And He is very, very jealous for two things. Your attention and your fellowship. Not only aware that He's present, not only aware that He's real, but the fellowship that follows that. Talk to Him. Steve Parker, what does that mean? Talk to Him. It means wherever you're at, talk to Him like you talk to your friend. Talk to Him like you talk to your husband. Well, maybe it depends on how you talk to your husband or wife, but talk to Him in a way that demonstrates you trust Him. And statements lead to stagnancy. There are people all the time, in fact, let me make this statement. Statements lead to stagnancy, but questions lead to answers. There are people that will make statements all day long and they're never asking questions and they're not growing. Nobody grows without asking questions. Asking questions. When you're driving down the road, when you're sitting in your car, Father, help me understand this. Steve said this today. What does that, what does that mean? Ask him. So what do we learn today? Being saved or being born again is simply being in right relationship with God. It is a journey. It isn't a one and done. It isn't a coming up and I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to say I, I repent or forgive me or I'm sorry and then it's all over. It is a journey that I am taking. We learn that confessing my faith is living a life every day that honors God. And we learn that Yahweh created us because He loves company and He loves you. 
So whoever you are, whether you're in this room or you are watching online today, I can tell you in every sense of the word, you matter to the Father. And more than that, you're necessary. You're necessary. So in this series, what I'm going to do is we're going to clear some of these things up. We're going to make it plain. And I hope today helped you understand that salvation isn't some difficult thing that requires a manual. It simply requires a decision. Sorry, God. I want to be right with you. And he will do it every single time. Amen? Stand with me if you would, please. Father, I lift my voice over the men and the women that are both in this house and those who are watching online today. And my heart and my intercession for them is that every single person has heard, every single person has received everything that you want to put into them, them to receive today, them to hear today. I want them to be changed. I want to be changed. Father, I pray for each one, if there's a single one that is out of relationship with you today, in whatever their language is, I pray that they will get it right to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. So next week, we're going to jump into form and culture. Why do people lift their hands? Why do people do this? Why are some people dancing? Why are some people not? Why are We're going to dive into form and culture. We're going to answer some questions. Now with this, those of you that are online, are we still streaming? Those of you that are online, if there are specific questions, and I'm going to be honest, because I've been in this a long time. So some of the words that seem normal to me, I might think are, would be normal to you. They might not be. So if you're hearing or seeing something that's out of the ordinary, I want to address those things in this series. So send me an email, send me a message on Facebook, and we will address those things in this series, That Kingdom Thing. So I encourage you again, listen to the podcast every single week. Listen again, because every time you listen to it, you will hear something different. I love you. I bless you. 